Hey everybody, welcome to the second episode of the Off The Bench Podcast. Just a reminder, my name is Sean Crowell, I'm your host, I'll be here every week that we decide to record. Guys, and I was really, really excited about the first reaction that we got to the first episode of the podcast. I think we had around 80 listens on Spotify and Anchor Total. It's up on a few different platforms now, but they're kind of platforms that I haven't really heard much about. So I'm guessing most of you guys will have Spotify. I think it's still waiting to get up on Apple um, Apple Podcasts, so we'll see how that goes soon. But guys, I was really excited. Around 80 listens, more than I could have hoped for, to be honest. And I think that's really exciting. Guys, and we're going to do this pod a little bit differently. I have a guest on the show today. I'm going to hope to have a guest on a lot of these shows that I'm going to record. Sometimes it'll be just me. But today, my first ever guest on the Off the Bench podcast is going to be my father-in-law, Jeff Weaver. He's a very skilled public speaker, and he's a longtime sports fan. I'm really excited to have him on the pod here today. Guys, so I really enjoyed doing my first episode, talking a lot of Giannis, um, some small ball, and the Lakers. The Lakers and Rockets are tied 1-1 in their series right now. I don't think I have anything on them here today, but that's an exciting series, and I really can't wait to keep watching game three, four, and so on. I think that's going to be an exciting series all the way through. That one's going to go six or seven, and I know the Lakers are favored, guys, but that's a really tough matchup. The Rockets are no joke. They're playing some really good defense. We all know that they can light it up from three when they're hot. They are a dangerous team, and I think if the Rockets did move on, They could give the Clippers some trouble if the Clippers move on. I mean, the Nuggets are playing really hot right now, too, so we'll see about that. Guys, I'm going to lead today with a special segment on a head coaching hire in the NBA. I'm sure you guys have all heard of it. Steve Nash was hired by the Brooklyn Nets. Excuse me. And then I have another take on Giannis, guys. I have a few more thoughts I know that I made this big take last week about how Giannis is not going to be leaving in free agency. They're down 3-1 to the Heat right now, and I have a few more thoughts on that, guys. Really interesting series, what we've seen develop there. All right, guys, I can't wait to get underway, and uh, here we go. All right, guys, so the old cliche setting says talk is cheap. I'm sure you guys have all heard it before, but cliches are often very true, and they're cliches for a reason because they sort of um, transcend time. They were true yesterday, they're true today, and they'll be true tomorrow. Okay, so cliches are cliches for a reason. So trust people's actions. People tell you who they are in their actions. The same is true in sports, guys. On an organizational level, teams, they tell you what they value and they tell you what they want by their actions. Don't listen to what they say at their media conferences, okay? Bill Belichick at his conferences, he'll never tell you anything, okay? His play on the field is what tells you everything that you need to know. He can say Malcolm Butler was not in any trouble, you know, a few years back in the Super Bowl. Malcolm Butler was just fine. He, he'll say whatever he wants. 
But when he doesn't play Malcolm Butler, arguably their best corner in the Super Bowl against the Eagles, that tells you right there. Malcolm Butler was somehow in the doghouse, in Bill Belichick's doghouse. But all he said to the media was, I was just trying to give our team the best chance to win. That's a bunch of baloney. All right, that's not true. If he was trying to give his team the best chance to win, he would have played Malcolm Butler in the Super Bowl, but he did not. All right, guys, so talk is cheap. What do your actions say? What do you value? The Brooklyn Nets told you what they value in their recent head coaching hire. Steve Nash, Hall of Fame point guard, played for the Mavericks, played for the Suns, had an amazing career in the NBA, first ballot Hall of Famer, was hired by the Brooklyn Nets with no assistant coaching experience at all. Now, this has happened a couple of times in recent history. Doc Rivers, um, let's see, Magic Johnson, Isaiah Thomas, Jason Kidd. These are all guys that had very little to no coaching experience who were excellent players in their day, and they were hired to become head coaches right away. They sort of skip the process that the rest of these coaches have to go through. It, it's not super common in the NBA, but it's not completely rare either. We've seen it on a number of occasions. But the Brooklyn Nets, they have a serious opportunity to make a big splash. They can win the East next season. They can win the NBA Finals. That's how talented of a roster they have. Okay, and organizationally, wouldn't it just be a lot safer to maybe keep your interim head coach, Jacques Vaughn, who was like, I don't know, 9-2 and two or something like that since he took over? They went 9-2 and two in the bubble. There's no bad teams in the bubble, guys. Bad teams weren't allowed to come. They, they were like 7-2 and two in the bubble playing all these playoff-type teams. Okay, and that's Jacques Vaughn. He was the interim head coach. Why didn't they just hire Jacques Vaughn? I'll tell you. How many people have heard of Jacques Vaughn? Okay, if you're not in the NBA realm, in the NBA circle, you probably have not heard of Jacques Vaughn. I didn't before he took over. Okay, and that's the point. But how many people have heard of Steve Nash? I'm going to say if you're a casual NBA fan, if you even watch every now and then, you've heard of Steve Nash. Amazing Hall of Fame level point guard. Guys, and that's what the Brooklyn Nets wanted to do. They wanted to make a little bit of a splash with their head coaching hire. They understand that they're in a smaller market. They understand that they're going up against the New York Knicks, the famed New York Knicks, even though they have not been good for like 20 years. Gosh, the late 90s was the last time the New York Knicks were decent, guys. I know they played some decent ball with Carmelo and they had JR on that team. They made the playoffs, but come on, they were like an eighth or seventh seed or something. Okay, so the New York Knicks, who have been irrelevant for 20 years, are far more popular than the Brooklyn Nets. Even though the Brooklyn Nets have made the playoffs a couple of times, they've maybe won a few series here and there. Okay, but when you're a little brother in the market of sports, when you're the Los Angeles Angels, when you're the Los Angeles Clippers, 
when you're the Brooklyn Nets, you have to do something a little bit differently to gain that publicity, to sort of spark a little bit of a fire under your organization, to gain yourself some popularity among the casual fans, okay? A guy like me from the West Coast, I would never watch the Brooklyn Nets in a million years. But now they got Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Steve Nash is their coach. Dude, are you kidding me? I'm going to be watching next season, and that's a fact. I'm more likely to watch with Steve Nash as their head coach, even if they wouldn't be as good or well-coached than if Jacques Vaughn was their coach, just because he was not a Hall of Fame point guard in the NBA for years and years. Okay, so that's why they hire a guy like Steve Nash. And let me tell you, I know this is getting a little long here. Let me tell you three reasons why Steve Nash will work out in Brooklyn, even though he has zero coaching experience. Number one, he can relate to every single player on the team, every single player in the NBA. He can relate to them. Okay, let me tell you a little bit about Steve Nash. He didn't start for like the first four years of his career. Okay, he was with the Suns for a bit, then he was with Dallas for a bit, and then back to the Phoenix Suns. They couldn't really, he couldn't really do anything, guys. He wasn't a special player. He was coming off the bench, maybe getting some minutes here and there. He started to get a little bit better around year four when he started um, becoming a starter. He had some chemistry with Dirk. His career kind of took off from there. So don't tell me that Steve Nash can't relate to those other guys on the team, the guys on the bench, the guys who don't get as much playing time, the role players who maybe come off the bench for, I don't know, 10, 12, 15 minutes a game can make a difference that way. He relates to those guys. He was one of those guys. You know who wasn't one of those guys? Magic Johnson. Isaiah Thomas, Doc Rivers. These guys were longtime starters slash superstars in the NBA. Magic and IT, guys, they won championships where they were. Magic was a superstar from the time he entered the NBA. Have you seen that photo that came out recently? I mean, it's an old photo, but it sort of resurfaced of Magic coming to his LA game. And he's got like Prince with him. He's got Michael Jackson with him. He's got Mike Tyson, just an entourage with Magic Johnson by his side entering into the Staples Center. Or they probably didn't play in Staples back then, wherever it was, whatever the, whatever the arena was called. Guys, and that was Magic Johnson. So when Magic Johnson became a head coach in the league, he couldn't relate to 95% of his players. That's not going to work. That's not going to work. As an NBA head coach, coaching is all about relationships, guys. And if you can't reach 95 to 98% of your team, it's not going to go well. And that was Magic Johnson. And it's not his fault that he was a superstar, but that's just the reality of the gig. Okay. Steve Nash will be able to relate to the very last guy on the bench. Steve Nash couldn't get an offer. He was from Canada. Could not get an offer, got a single offer to who knows where on the West Coast. I can't even remember what team it was. That's how small of a school it was. Okay, he's not coming from Duke, Michigan State, Kentucky. 
Okay, but he can also relate to your best players. Steve Nash can relate to Kevin Durant. Steve Nash can relate to Kyrie Irving. Steve Nash was a two-time MVP, a first ballot Hall of Famer. Steve Nash will certainly be able to coach up Kevin Durant, to coach up Kyrie Irving. He will be able to help them tremendously with their games. Okay, the second reason why Steve Nash is going to be an amazing hire is because he is an incredibly smart player. Now, some players in the NBA are so athletically gifted that they don't have to be all that skilled to be an amazing basketball player. Take LeBron James, and I need you to use your imagination here because this is all theoretical. I love talking about LeBron. You guys know I do. I talked about him last episode. LeBron is a guy who is so athletically gifted, and he is also extremely skilled and extremely smart. Now, here's where I need you to use your imagination. Take that away. Imagine that LeBron is not the smartest guy, and imagine that he is not very skilled on the basketball court. Everybody who works with LeBron says he is the smartest player they have probably ever seen. Imagine he's not, and imagine he's not very skilled. Can't dribble as well, can't shoot as well, all that. LeBron is so athletically gifted that he's still, honestly, a perennial all-star in this league. Picture this, he can't dribble very well, he can't shoot. All you got to do is give it to him and he'll just dunk it. He'll just drive in the lane and dunk it. Even if he's not very smart with the X's and O's, even if he can't read defenses, even, even if he can't dribble all that well. You're telling me he wouldn't be effective in the pick and roll? Just throw up a lob for him. Okay, he's a perennial all-star without skills and without his smarts. Okay, some guys are like that. Some guys are so athletically gifted that they don't need that. Steve Nash is literally the opposite of that. When he was in the league, he was probably bottom 10 to bottom 20% in the league as far as athletics go. The dude could hardly dunk, I'm pretty sure. Okay, he's not the fastest guy. The reason that he is so amazing at playing basketball and that he's a first ballot Hall of Famer is his smarts. He understands the X's nose and his vision as a point guard. That is what made Steve Nash great. Those things are things that directly translate to coaching. They say guys like LeBron, Chris Paul, Steve Nash are an extension of the coach on the floor. That translates well to being a coach in the league. Okay, because Steve Nash couldn't make it athletically. So he had to understand the game of basketball and get better and better at the fundamentals in order to become an amazing basketball player. The third reason is short, but it's very straightforward. How many years was he with the Golden State Warriors? The most recent dynasty in the NBA. The Golden State Warriors played the most well-rounded basketball I've probably ever seen. Their ball movement, their defensive rotations were incredible, guys. I don't know if you love to watch just other guys play basketball, other teams play basketball. 
I'm a huge LeBron fan, guys, but I'm not going to lie. Sometimes his basketball is not very pretty because he'll just go ISO, he'll read the defense, and then he'll make one pass to an open three-point shooter. That's not always super entertaining. But the Golden State Warriors' ball movement, their cuts, their screens, the way Steph moves without the ball, that's amazing basketball to watch. Extremely enjoyable. Okay? And Steve Nash was with those guys. You can't just... I I know he was just a shooting coach. All right? He was just a shooting coach. He wasn't an assistant. But when you are with that team every single day, watching how this team operates... You have to be able to take something away from that. And I guarantee you that Steve Nash did. Steve Nash had to have taken something from the most recent dynasty in the NBA, the Golden State Warriors. This team made five straight finals. And Steve Nash was with them. I don't know if he was with them for all of it. But he was a shooting coach the majority of those years. Guys, you're going to learn a thing or two about basketball and about coaching and about teamwork if you spend four or five years with the Golden State Warriors. All right, guys, last week I had the confidence to lead off my first ever podcast with the take that Giannis Antetokounmpo was going to be staying in Milwaukee 2021. Okay, and that's not dead in the water. I still think he will. Now, am I more uncertain of that? now that they're down 3-1 and were down 3-0 than I was before? Yeah, I am. But at the same time, I do still believe he will stay in Milwaukee. Guys, and I got a bone to pick with Giannis Antetokounmpo. Okay, last season, all of a sudden they get shut down by the Raptors. They go up two games to nothing. They look like they're getting ready for a sweep. Honestly, the Raptors could not hang. Then Kawhi Leonard puts the team on their back, absolutely locks up Giannis Antetokounmpo, and they win four straight, and then they go on and win the title. Giannis, you're the MVP of the league. How do you get beat four straight times? That's a joke. Can you imagine how bad they would roast LeBron James if that happened to LeBron? What they would say about Michael Jordan if he just lost four straight games after going up 2-0, after just winning an MVP? Guys, that's a joke. How do you let that happen? You have no jump shot? All they did was close off the lane. They didn't force the ball out of his hands. He still had an opportunity to be effective offensively, and he completely failed. Okay. Now, you can make the case. It's just one series. Kawhi Leonard is an elite defender. It happens. He's on the younger side. He's sort of entering into his prime, into his prime rather than leaving his prime. He's not, you know, I don't know. Maybe I'm just making excuses for him. All right. Now, you can say... It was Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard's an elite defender. They sort of built a wall. They forced somebody else to beat him. Chris Middleton didn't play that good. You know, their role players fell short. Brogdon, Bledsoe, 
Lopez, you know, all those guys. You can make that argument. In the second round, when they go down to the Miami Heat, three games to nothing, you can try and make that same argument, but it's kind of getting old. Okay. You fool me once, shame on you. You fool me twice, shame on me. Okay? That can't happen. Now, you could say almost the same exact thing. Jimmy Butler is an elite defender. They built a wall. This and that. But you really can't. Because after the formula was out on how to beat Giannis, then Giannis has to react. And he has to make sure that cannot happen. Okay, it's one thing for that to happen twice and Giannis to say, okay, I guess I didn't practice my jumper enough. I guess I didn't do this enough. Okay, but after that happens, you can't let it happen again. The Miami Heat are just doing the same exact thing that the Raptors did last year. They're putting Jimmy Butler on him and sort of building this wall and not allowing him to get into the lane like he usually does in the regular season. Okay, but it's no excuse. Your role players are not playing poorly. Middleton is having a heck of a series. He's shooting like 40% from three, 24 points a game in the series against the Heat. That's another all-star on your team, Giannis. That is an all-star level player on your team. Lopez has been going off. Every time I look up, he's making another three-pointer. Okay, he's getting lost or lots of rest. It's not like he's tired. All I've been hearing is people making excuses for Giannis Antetokounmpo, saying, well, they really don't have anybody to run their offense through. That's a joke. You have the back-to-back MVP on your team, and you're sitting there thinking, well, who are we going to run our offense through? Oh, I don't know. Giannis Antetokounmpo, who's won two MVPs in a row, who's averaged 29 points a game in the regular season? How do you say, who do we run our offense through? Giannis has got to develop a jump shot. It's basketball. It's like the first thing you learn. Chris Middleton is having a heck of a series. Okay, it's not Chris Middleton. That's not a cop-out anymore. He's playing great. And then I hear this after game one when Jimmy Butler is going off on them. When he dropped like 40 points or some garbage on the Bucks, who are supposed to be this amazing defensive team who suddenly can't defend to save their lives. Jimmy Butler has the game of his life, puts Miami up one to nothing, and somebody asks Giannis after the game, did you ever think of going out and guarding Jimmy Butler? No, I might not get this quote for quote, but Giannis essentially said, why would I do that? Why would I go and guard their best player? Oh, I don't know, because you're the defensive player of the year. Okay, but that's not the same thing that's happening here. You have the regular season back-to-back MVP, but he is the issue. He's the one falling short in the postseason. He's averaging less points and less of a field goal percentage 
less rebounds, I'm pretty sure, too, in this series than he did in the regular season. You have to up your play in the postseason. You cannot fall short in the postseason. MVPs do not fall short in the postseason. Look around the other superstars in the NBA right now. Have you seen LeBron James? Have you seen Jamal Murray? Have you seen jo- excuse me, Kawhi Leonard? They are all upping their play. And this guy's going off on your team. Clearly nobody else can guard him. Giannis, you're the defensive player of the year. How do you not guard the other team's best player? It's not like he's a point guard. Jimmy Butler plays forward. Okay? You have to guard him. It's positionless basketball. You're like a four and he's a three. Guard Jimmy Butler. He's dropping 40 points on your team. Okay? And guys, it's pretty asinine to say that the Bucks are a better team without Giannis. But at the same time, we have to sit here and examine the facts. The one game that the Bucks actually win is the game that Giannis is out. Leaves in the second corner quarter with an ankle injury. I hope he's okay, by the way. But that's the one game they win is when Giannis doesn't play. He's the MVP of the league. Without him, they just beat the Miami Heat, who they were down 3 nothing to. What does that say about Giannis's impact on the game? Normally, it's tremendous. Normally, he is the MVP of the league. But Giannis, you have to tell me what is happening in this series. Okay, I know the Miami Heat are hungry, but they are young. Okay, you guys are veterans. You guys have been here before. You have to fall short before you can become a champion. That's what the Bucks did. But somehow, it's like they fall short last season, and now they're just falling shorter. That doesn't make any sense. Now, this is why I don't support Giannis leaving. Because when you leave in free agency and you're a superstar, it's because you're in a small market, which he is, and you can't get any help, and the team is poorly run, and you want to go to a winning organization. Giannis' play, meanwhile, is falling short of what he did in the regular season. But when you're part of the problem and you're part of the reason that your team isn't winning, I don't know. It doesn't make a lot of sense to leave in free agency unless he wants to be a number two. I don't know any other back-to-back MVPs that are just wanting to be a number two player. But maybe that's him. I don't know. All right, guys, this week's Off the Bench MVP Award. I can't remember what I called it last week, but I think that's what I'm going to stick with. I think that's a good name. This week's Off the Bench MVP Award is Shaquem Griffin. If you guys don't know or remember hearing about Shaquem Griffin, he is a technically a linebacker, but he's more of an edge rusher for the Seattle Seahawks. And he is the player in the NFL who only has one hand. I can't remember if it's his right or his left hand, but he had a condition when he was a little kid, a disease, I can't remember, but he had to get it removed. And 
Shaquem is an absolute inspiration in the NFL to little kids everywhere. All young athletes who um, may be disabled in some way, who maybe look at somebody else or other people who seem more normal, that's what Shaquem is. He's got one hand and he's in the NFL. That's amazing. Do you know how much you use your hands in the NFL, in football in general? You use your hands so much, especially as a pass rusher. It's like all hand fighting. That's incredible. Okay, the dude ran like a 4-3 at the combine. He's kind of on the smaller side. He's not your big, tall, lean edge rusher. He's got an interesting body type for it. Okay, but I feel bad for this guy. Okay, Shaquem just got cut by the Seahawks this season at the end of training camp when they were making their final roster cuts. The good news is he was not signed off waivers, so he joined Seattle's practice squad, which is good in my opinion because he's got a twin brother who plays for the Seahawks that he can continue to be around and be with. Okay, so that is one positive. I truly believe that Shaquem Griffin has another opportunity in this league waiting for him in the future. He's an absolute stud. When he got his chance towards the end of last season, he really was producing for the Seahawks. They cut him not, not from a lack of um, talent, in my opinion, but because they have an overload of talent at linebacker right now. Okay, they just drafted first-round linebacker. They got all-pro Bobby Wagner. Two young guys on the squad, too. K.J. Wright. Okay, they had to cut somebody. Okay, but this guy absolutely has some future opportunities waiting for him. Again, ran a 4-3 at the combine. That is so fast. The dude is a beast. Okay, and he's going to have another shot in this league. I know it. All right, guys, I'm bringing somebody off the bench here. Uh, my father-in-law, Jeff Weaver. My wife and I have come to Omaha to town to visit the in-laws. We've been having a great time so far, an awesome few days. We head back tomorrow. But before we head out, we have to have Jeff Weaver on the podcast here today. <laughs> Jeff is a former pastor, really high-quality public speaker, and longtime sports fan. He's been a Dodgers fan and a Redskins fan for his entire life, and I'm very happy to have him on the pod. Off the bench, Jeff Weaver. Say hi, Jeff. Hey, Sean. Thanks so much for having me. Glad to be your first uh, guest off the bench, and hopefully I, I don't bore anybody. I, I was fortunate enough to listen to your first podcast and thought it was excellent and looking forward to seeing where you're going and just your dif different, you know, intricate and insightful takes on everything. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, Jeff, he, he called me, let's see, one or two days after I released the pod, and he just had nothing but nice things to say, so that was awesome to hear from Jeff. Um, so Jeff, being a longtime Washington Redskins fan, obviously he's got some takes on the Washington football team, their new name moving forward, um, some different ideas for some new names for the Washington football team, because they're not going to be the Washington football team forever. Um, so Jeff, I know you have a few different takes that, that I think are really good ones. I want to, I want to hear what you have to say about that. 
Well, you know, growing up as a Redskins fan and now the Washington football team, you know, never really gave much thought to the name change. Uh, and even back in 2016, I actually read a, an article in the Washington Post that said, hey, nine out of 10 Native Americans have no issue with this name. And so to me, that was pretty much a done deal. You know, I'm a, you know, I'm a fan of the team. I'm not necessarily, haven't been a fan to say, oh, it's all about the name. And so when it came about over the past few years and them looking to want to change the name, I kind of looked and says, you know, what's the point? You know, is it necessary? And the more I looked at it, I was like, okay, you know, we lived in North Dakota. We talked to, I talked to some friends who were Native Americans up there with the Lakota tribe uh, growing up in Oklahoma, talking to you know, even friends back then. And they didn't seem to have a real issue. So is that, does that make it a dead, dead point there? Does that mean it's a done deal? You should leave the name. The reality is, is that it's not the name that people follow. It's the players. It's the team. Uh, you know, and so there's a lot of different names that are coming out, different possibilities for nicknames. And so I'm interested to see where they're going. I'll be honest. I do not like the Washington football team name as it is. I think it's a little generic. Yeah, a little bit too generic for my taste, too. Yeah, it reminds me more of the, the soccer clubs and the football teams. And, you know, that's the football club, the you know, which is fine. But for football, I think the, the fans need that identity. You know, the Washington football team, you know, they've always had that identity. Uh, they're one of, I think they're the only team, I think maybe including the Green Bay Packers, that actually have their own band. Uh, so there's some unique identities that are specific to the football team. And I don't think we're going to lose that. I think we're heading in a different direction. I, I think we're headed into uh, a more inclusive name. And I think that, yeah, I think that you're going to lose some fans because of a name change. And I think that's sad because, you know, I follow the football team because my dad followed the football team. You know, growing up in D.C. and Virginia area, that was his team. My dad wasn't a fan of the name. He was a fan of the team. You know, and, and going to celebrity uh, charity basketball games and watching, you know, Billy Kilmer and Roy Jefferson's play those games. That's way before your time. That's yeah, early 70s. Yeah. But I became a fan of the team and I'll still be a fan, regardless of what the name is, unless it's Cornhuskers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jeff's not originally from Nebraska here, so he makes fun of, um, gosh, his wife and uh, his in-laws who are big Nebraska Cornhusker fans. Um, so I like what Jeff has, has to say here. Um, he's, he's not rigid and, you know, I need this, this specific name, this specific nickname to follow this team. He's just a fan of the organization. Um, his dad was always a fan. And I think that's how most of us grow up as fans is, you know, we have a family member, our dad. I know for me, it was my dad. He got me into the, um, San Diego chargers. Now the LA chargers. And so I think that's pretty common. You just become a fan from your family or where you live. And so, you know, nobody, I shouldn't say nobody, there might be some people who are tied to that Redskins name. But I mean, if you're a Washington football team fan, then you're a fan of the Washington football team, no matter what their nickname is, is going to be. Um, so Jeff, I know you told me a while back you had some or you've heard of some different cool ideas for right. those nicknames. What Do you have any of those in yeah, mind? Yeah, there's two that really seem to be kind of gaining traction, and the, the Washington football team have even acknowledged a couple of those, one of them being the Red Tails, uh, based off the Tuskegee Airmen World War II. Uh, there's, only, there's less than 10 surviving Tuskegee Airmen left. It was a, a, an all-black pilot squadron that never lost a bomber in any of their missions, so uh, 
incredible, you know, that those, you know, there's only 10 left, you know, we're losing a history uh, of that generation, but there's only 10 left and we actually have one that lives here in the same town that we do. And so, you know, I kind of, as I came out with the different ideas and they said the red tails and they were red tails because that's what it was on the back of their plane to identify them as their squadron. You know, some of the red tail squadrons, the surviving members, we're talking men who are in their 90s, mid to late 90s, and even into their 100s. And talking and hearing some of what they said, some of them were like, hey, that would be great, uh, you know, to honor us. But then another one actually said, hey, let's be honest, the Redskins haven't been that good for that long. We don't want to be associated with a football team that's not that good, <laughs> which I thought was a great take from somebody you know, yeah, well over 100 is, years old. That is a good point. Um, just something, something to note is that just with the red tail nickname, I think that would be so cool to take a name that um, the Redskins that was sort of just this derogatory term and, and turn it, the nickname into something that sort of honors um, a, a diverse group, a diverse group of veterans nonetheless. And I think there's another cool aspect of that name, the Red Tails, in that they never lost a bomber on any one of their missions. So it wasn't just like they were going out there and they were, you know, doing okay and they were just decent at their job. They were amazing at their job. Mm-hmm. That nickname sort of carries this identity of um, execution, of, of teamwork. Absolutely. Um, they value one another as a whole entire unit rather than just the individual. And so I think that if their nickname was the Red Tails, that could be something that is sort of ingrained into that organization with that nickname, which is something that's really cool. Absolutely. And I think, you know, these weren't guys that were coming in off the bench like I am. These were the starters. <laughs> these were the stars of the day. And, you know, it was because they excelled. And I think it's so key that, you you know, you, you point out the fact that it was teamwork. You know, when you fly in formation, uh, you fly in a tight formation. And if one of your bombers gets hit then you don't leave them behind. Everybody slows down. They don't leave any of their bombers behind because, you know, uh, formation, what I was told by a World War II bat who got shot down during World War II over Germany, he says, formation is salvation. If you're not in your formation, you're a straggler. You're the weak. You're the, the one that they're going to pray and come attack. And what a great correlation, you know, to be those red tails and take those feats and, and awards and just how efficient they were at their job and then put it to a football team to say, hey, Washington football team, Washington Red Tails, you need to step up your game because you don't want to dishonor this name. Yeah, that's really cool. I, I think that would be a really special nickname. Um, I'm, I'm rooting for that nickname, really. I don't know if I've ever rooted for a nickname before, but I do think that if they did become the Washington Red Tails, that would bring something unique to, to the NFL and to nicknames because inside the nickname is, is a piece of your identity and, and that would be an awesome piece of identity right there for the Washington football team. One of the things that you know those veterans that were asked about the name change is some were excited but then some were a little apprehensive because they're looking at the diversity in the NFL and 70% of players are persons of color, people of color. And so they're like, okay, why acknowledge us when there's definitely a disparaging, if there's 70% of the players who are of color, but there are only three NFL head coaches that are a person of color. So where's the disconnect? And, and I understand that, but maybe this is the impetus to start making the change in the community and making the NFL community being more diverse. The Redskins have had some 
scandal with their owner and everything like this. Some presidents were fired and they brought in the first African-American president. Now, it's been construed or, you know, from some as, oh, this was just to, you know, appease the, the masses. Maybe. But this individual is a man of integrity who deserved the job, who's qualified for the job. And if he can help break down those barriers and change the the mindset of owners throughout the NFL, that's what matters, is making change. And if somebody gives somebody an opportunity just to say, oh, we're doing this, but it allows change to occur in the NFL, then it's going to be a better organization, a better NFL franchise, and it's going to be better for our communities, and it's going to be better for these boys and girls, regardless of color growing up, and say, hey, you know what? We can do anything that anybody else can do. If the Red Tail Squadron, the Tuskegee Airmen, can go and fly and become exceptional at what they do, it's not about race. It's about the heart and the integrity of an individual. So there's that You know, I'm looking forward. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean... Like I said, there cannot be just enough positives about about that nickname and the potential to become the Washington Red Tails. Now, Jeff, you said you had two nicknames that you've kind of heard about gain some steam. What what's one of the other ones? The other ones, and I'll be honest, you know, I love the concept and the meaning and the history behind the Red Tails. I really love some of the the mock or the faux uh, helmets and everything that came up for the Washington Red Wolves. I mean, it's, of course, the same color scheme, but, you know, the Red Wolves, it's a vicious-looking, you know, wolf, uh, and it's really starting to gain attraction. Uh, where the Red Tails had about 28%, you know, that's starting to garner interest, the, the Red Wolf started like a 5 or 10, and it's starting to creep up according to some of the polls. The reality is they've talked about the presidents, the senators, you know, the capitals, all of these different names, which are horrible, in my opinion. Yeah. But the Red Wolves give some ferocity to the name. It, it, it gives the opportunity for people to buy into a logo, you know, whereas the Red Tails were going to have what they're looking at is more of a military-based uh, helmet with wings and, you know, even some of the rivet joints in the helmet being, you know, painted on, which is great. The, the Red Wolf is just that iconic, you know, wolf. You can see the silhouette and, you know, oh, that's a wolf. Uh, so there's a lot of traction gaining with that. And a lot of it is really driven by a fan who has decided to say, Hey, that's a great logo. And he's tweaked it. He's tweaked it. And it's really turned into a a very impressive logo to where the Washington football team says, Hey, we see you. We see your mock-ups of these different uniforms, these helmets, because this guy's gone to the extent of putting the players in his mock-up uniforms, the helmets and everything. And I'm just sitting there, I'm looking, wow, that's really cool. The other thing is like, wow, I have no talent compared to this guy. <laughs> yeah. Some of these artists who make these mock-ups and, and these different logos are, are just amazing. Um, yeah, I can definitely see how that logo with just a silhouette of a wolf would definitely pick up a little bit more traction than um, like a, a red tail logo that might be um, more of like a, a helmet with a unique... Um, uh, fighter pilot helmet Mm -hmm. or you know maybe a a, the tail of the airplane or something like that um the red wolf the the logo is just very identifiable and you can just look at that and immediately know what that is um i can see how that gain would gain a lot of traction um now i didn't warn jeff with this question but it it is redskins related and (laughs) i want to see what he has to hear what he has to say about um, just the story of Alex Smith and and what an amazing wow. comeback he has he has had. 
A few months back, Jeff and I actually together watched the E60 on Alex Smith. And just what an extraordinary story. Um, just how he persevered, almost lost his life. And it, it would be one thing to sort of just recover from that and just go on and, and live your life with your family and make a difference in the community. But he's going to do that all the while while recovering to an even greater length to try and play football and become a quarterback in the NFL again, which he has done. Unfortunately, he did not get the starting job. Dwayne Haskins did get the starting job. But nonetheless, what an amazing feat from Alex Smith. I, I want to hear, yeah, Jeff, what are your thoughts on on that? Well, when we watched that, you know, Project 11, I think is what it was called, you know, on ESPN. And I was just dumbfounded. And looking at the extent of his injury, like you said, it wasn't about he could lose his leg. It was more about he could lose his life. And, you know, for me as a fan back then, you know, he was even saying, you know, year ago, two years ago, I'm coming back to play football. Uh, I'm thinking, dude, you need to stop and just take care of your life, be there for your wife, be there for your kids. There's more important things. And, you know, as I see his journey, I, I even look back during that, when it first happened, Joe Theismann, who had a career ending injury, you know, 20 plus years before that, he said, if there's anybody that can come back from this injury, it is Alex Smith. And he said that because of his determination, his leadership, and his desire for the game. Uh, and what a legacy that he will leave for, fortunately for the Washington football team, he's going to leave that legacy of what it takes to come back and, and fight, but also for those other players. What, a, what an influence and mentor he can be for Dwayne Haskins. But even so, what about his kids? Dad, you could have quit, but you came back, and nobody would have held it against you. And he's showing his kids hard work, dedication. And we saw that in the, the documentary as well, as you can't overlook the contribution of his wife. Because Alex Smith today, I honestly believe this, he just made the 53-man the squad. He's not on the squad today if he doesn't have a wife that supports him through that. It, you know, he went to uh, Walter Reed Medical Center. He went to all the military doctor specialists because it was that catastrophic of a leg injury that Military doctors deal with this, on, unfortunately, on a daily basis with IEDs, bombs in, you know, in the Middle East where these men and women are fighting. And so these doctors see this all the time. And they took this guy, and he asked to go there, and they accepted him. But he's back there on a team now. He's an NFL player. He was getting paid whether he played another down or not, but he's there because of his love of the game. And I, I, I can't tell you I'm more excited than anything I hope I don't, it doesn't very happen happen very often when the Washington football team gets up by quite a few points that they can bring in their backup quarterback. But if they do it and Alex Smith makes it onto the football field, I mean, there may be a tear or two. I might be leaking some awesomeness out of my <laughs> eyes as I watch that because what a journey and what a, a challenge to me and say, okay, Jeff, what are you doing every day to be the best that you can be? Yeah, I mean... Guys, if you have not watched that E60 on Alex Smith, you absolutely, you absolutely have to watch it. Um, I think Jeff made an awesome point about his wife being there for him. And he, he really is right. He would not be on an NFL team today if it was not for his wife. Um, he has an absolute strong woman right there by his side. And it has um, it has been so crucial to him and his comeback. Uh, yeah, like I said... Dwayne Haskins ended up getting the starting gig over Alex Smith, 
but man, if something did happen, if they um, if they got up by a few a few extra points towards the end of the game, or if Dwayne Haskins is is underperforming and they did bring in Alex Smith, I mean that would just be that would be quite the finish to a story for for his his magical run up and his magical recovery here. Um, just an amazing story from from Alex Smith. Now, we're going to be switching gears here a little bit. Um, like I said, Jeff is a huge Dodgers fan, has been forever. Um, I believe your dad was a Dodgers fan. Is that right? Yeah, my dad was actually a Brooklyn Dodger fan because you know, that's old school, right? We're going way back. Way back. And so he grew up you know, in Virginia, Washington, D.C. area. The Brooklyn Dodgers were his team. And then when they moved you know, to L.A., they were still his team, and so naturally, Dad became a Dodger, was a Dodger fan. So they're, you know, the genetics passed on to me. Oh yeah, that that's how it happens. And um, I mean, the Dodgers, what it, what an amazing fan base they have. They have one of the biggest fan bases in the MLB. They're right up there with you know the Yankees and the Red Sox, the Chicago Cubs, as far as those fan bases go. Um, they also have a huge budget do the, <laughs> the, the LA Dodgers and I, I was talking to Jeff about it the other day they have not been a team to just go around blowing their money signing huge free agents for the most part they've really let go of those big free agent signings um, you know that the Yankees are always pulling off with guys like you know Giancarlo Stanton um, that the Red Sox are always pulling off for I don't know, pitchers like Chris Sale and just so on and so on. You got these teams who sort of just buy their way to the top. And honestly, that works a lot of times. But the Dodgers have not really been going about that strategy. And they've just had nothing but success in recent years. Jeff, is it something like five straight division titles for, for the Dodgers? Yeah, it, I think it's even more than maybe six. But, you know, I, I'll be honest, I don't know. But yeah, yeah. But, you, you talk about the budget, right? Mm-hmm. The Dodgers every year going out to get and buy those players to try to get them to the next to the next level because we can we can win our division, but we can't win that series. Now I'm not going to get started about Houston cheating us out of <laughs> oh a World gosh. Series. That's another podcast. Don't get me started on Houston. <laughs> I mean the Houston asterisks, right? Honestly, honestly. But so the Dodgers have their their process and the method that they've been using is hey we're going to spend the money. But a lot of time what they're doing is they're spending the money midseason, whether it's a, a Manny Machado, a Manny Ramirez. We bring these players in. Uh, we have you know Manny Machado for half a season. We don't win it. He's gone. You know, he's, and so we've done that and we haven't signed them. You know, it's almost like we're renting these players to win the title. Uh, I don't like that concept. I mean, I like building from you know, ideally from the minor league system, from the Oklahoma City Dodgers on up, pulling up there from, but. They've been really trying to get over that hump. And like you said, for whatever reason, they haven't been willing to put out the big contract, right? And so it, it's kind of seeing where they're at now and what they just did earlier this year. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, right, they haven't been willing to, to pay that big money to those free agents or, or like you said, um, re-sign a guy like Manny Machado that they traded for midseason. Um, until just mm-hmm. before the season started when they signed Mookie Betts. I don't know the exact numbers, but it is a monster deal for Mookie Betts. And I think it's really interesting that they've passed up on on so many guys in the past for these monster deals, but they looked at Mookie Betts and they decided to sign him to a monster deal. 
Jeff, I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts on on that, on Mookie Betts, what makes him worth that monster deal in their eyes? Well, I think when you look about wins above replacement, I think that adds a lot to the quality. He's a 27-year-old guy. He's one of the, you know, it's arguably how do you rank the players. Uh, he's one of the top five to ten players in Major League Baseball. Uh, easily. American, National League, either one. He's consistent. Uh, and I think that, you know, you mentioned the numbers and the, the salary, the contract that he signed. What brought it about? What made the Dodgers decide to drop the, the money down? And this is just pure speculation on my part. And I think a lot of it really had to do with the quarantine and COVID and you know coronavirus because if they didn't, this was Mookie's last year. He's made was due to make twenty seven million dollars. Bless his heart. I hope he can get by on that. <laughs> oh, uh, so luckily, you know, he signed the new contract. Twelve years, three hundred and sixty five million dollars. So now his, you know, his kids are going to be able to have food and diapers. So that's good. Yeah. We're, we're we're happy for Mookie. And again, I don't hold it against anybody that can bring in that kind of jack. I mean, that's and he's he's worth it because that's what the market allows. But I think that the Dodgers said, okay, we're losing. We have a chance to lose him and never get a him to play a game because when they signed him, we weren't they weren't sure how it was going to happen. So they're like, let's sign him, let's secure him, and he doesn't become a free agent. I think until twenty thirty three or twenty thirty four. Uh, a lot of the money's deferred, you know. So in twenty thirty six and everything like, he's still making five mil a year from the Dodgers. Uh, you know, it's one of those you know Bobby Bonilla contracts. Before you, Bobby Bonilla every year gets a million dollar paycheck from the Mets. Yeah, I mean that. That type of contract just allows them to be flexible right now and not so much just handicap them. Um, and it allows, obviously, Mookie Betts to be getting paid long after he's gone. And so I, I can see how that type of contract is beneficial for both the team and the player. Right. And, and Mookie, you know, Mookie came over with the, the trade with David Price, and we traded uh, Verdugo and a couple other players. Uh, Alex Verdugo, great ball player, doing well for Boston. I think he's batting 310, 315, somewhere there just around where Mookie is. He's got like five home runs. Uh, Mookie's sitting around 13 home runs right now. Uh, but Mookie's that he's, – he's a game changer. Uh, and David Price with the Dodgers starting lineup with Kershaw and others, you're right, they're game changers. And so when David Price was coming in, we were excited. And David Price was one of the early players that says, I'm opting out of 2020 due to Corona for my family. And and I'll give the Dodgers credit. Yeah, and I'm a fanboy, right? So I'm going to always praise the Dodgers. No, I'm not. Uh, but the reality is, in this case, they said, we stand by you. Now, he's making... 20, 30 million, David Price is this year, uh, but he's not making a penny. I mean, that's what he was scheduled contract. So he, he threw away basically all of that salary, and they've got him through 2021, 2022. So they've got two years with this player, quality pitcher, uh, and it's really going to determine. I think the Dodgers may be, hopefully, because of Corona, it's a mind shift, it's a mentality shift to say, hey, we can't keep trying to buy a championship like I've always accused the Yankees of doing. Uh, and unfortunately, it's worked well with the Yankees. Uh, it hasn't worked that well for the Dodgers to get to those World Series. Uh, but I really think with that mind shift, the talent, it's a young ball club. Uh, we have some young pitchers coming in. But I think everything's revolving around Mookie. Uh, that, that getting on base, that you know, slugging percentage over one, all of those things, wins above replacement. Uh, he's just consistent, and I think they saw that in him. Uh, and again, just, but I don't know the mind, I don't know the shift, you know, 
but to me, in my mind, you're losing. You're going to pay this guy a salary, maybe only getting for 60 games and then losing. Uh, they signed him. He stepped up. He's performing. We see so many times players get to huge contracts and underperform over and over again. And I think this is the Dodgers' year. We're winning it this year. I'm not going to go back to when Kirk Gibson had to hit a home run, you know, and, and limp around and pump his fist. This is our year. So 2020, we're bringing home the World Series, and it's going to be on Mookie's back. Yeah, I mean, I agree. They have such a talented roster. Everywhere you look around this Dodgers roster, they have just young talent. And then with Mookie leading the way, um, Jeff Jeff said the key word, in my opinion, which is a game changer. And that's really what Mookie is. When you when you talk about his war, guys like him and, and Mike Trout and some mm, of those other Trout. big names, they really are the best in the game. And I think that, that market cap that they're hitting around $300, $350, 400000000 million, mm. what the market allows... If that's what the market allows, those guys are worth it. Absolutely. Um, and those guys are amazing ball players. Yeah, I I would agree. The Dodgers, they're like 30 and 11 right now, best record in baseball. They are absolutely humming. Um I I would I would count the Dodgers in for a World Series appearance at at least. I kind of expect them to win it all. They are extremely talented and and they're set up for success moving forward too with all that young talent and Mookie to sort of just build around. All right, guys, so that'll pretty much be it for the podcast today. I really appreciate Jeff coming on. Big shout out to him just being my first ever guest for the Off the Bench podcast. I thought he was awesome, guys, talking a little bit of Washington football team, a little bit of L.A. Dodgers baseball. I like to talk some baseball every now and then. I'm I'm not a huge, huge fan of baseball, but I do watch on occasion. I'm a big Mariners fan, so I get a little bit jealous of, of guys like Jeff who have an awesome team to root for. Um, with that being said, however, the Mariners have won six in a row, so maybe they're turning something around. But um, guys, I'm, I'm really excited. After the second episode, I, I feel like I've put out a decent product for you guys here today, so... I hope that you guys enjoy the listen. Um, if you guys, again, feel like you want to come on the podcast, definitely slide in the DMs. I'll be answering all questions in there. Um, if you guys have any questions about the pod, or questions questions about the content that I've put out so far, or um, just further topics that you guys would like to hear on the podcast, I'm definitely open to receiving some of those. I would, of course, be down to talk about some of those topics that you guys have in mind i want to cater to you guys as the listeners on this podcast okay um again if you want to come on i would encourage you guys to come on i've had a few people reach out and say that they wanted to come on the pod so um it might be a few weeks if you do want to come on the pod but i would certainly welcome that guys i've just been so psyched doing this um like i said last week i've thought about doing this for a very long time i'm just now pulling the trigger um And I'm really, really excited for it, guys. So thank you again for tuning in. And uh, again, I'm going to be around once a week as of now. I could move it to twice twice a week in the future, but for now it's going to be around once a week. So I appreciate it a bunch, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Um, Subscribe, rate, and review if you do so desire. And uh, thank you for your time, guys. Have a good one.